Hey guys, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. I am joined by two of my very good friends, a Mr. Jay Bates. Howdy. And April Wilkerson. Hey everyone. And my name is Nick Ferry. Um, yeah, this is, uh, we, we kind of put our feelers out there and uh, yeah, everyone said podcast. So this is the, uh, the inaugural podcast. What, and, what, uh, what's our feelers? What would you put our feelers out there? What are feelers? Feel, feelers are uh, our inquiring minds, our, our Q&A that we did. Okay, I got you. And a, and a ton of people were, were thinking podcast, and so we figured we would give it a shot because we actually had so much fun last time. And uh, now we brought on April, and she's, I believe, excited to be here. I am. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, but I'm very excited. Nervous? You're just talking to people, that's all. Oh, I know it. And I... I, I at least I'm with you guys. Since we're already friends, I think that that will help ease me into it. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely made it easier picking friends rather than, than enemies, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> or just people you don't know <laughs> personally. <laughs> but, uh, we're, yeah, so that's kind of our little intro. And uh, bear with us, folks, because, like I said, we're, no, we're not necessarily experts at this. And this is just uh, kind of uh, uh, our beginning. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get through some of the growing pains rather quickly. We're going to move into a segment called Breaking News, which is just kind of whatever we've been working on. Myself, uh, I've been working on a TV lift cabinet, and that's been ongoing for a little while. Didn't you start that uh, back in like 2012? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was 10, but 12, maybe. (laughs) Oddly enough, it's all done. I just got to work on the uh, the video and the editing and all that good stuff. But uh, April, what do you got going on? Um, I currently just randomly moved into my master bathroom. Um, it's one of those things to where I just kind of work on whatever I'm motivated on to working or move to whatever I'm motivated to. And my master bathroom was just eating at me. So yeah, I moved in there and I, I have a few projects planned out for there. I don't know if I'll do, their, do them consecutively back to back to one another or if I'll bounce around from there to my shop or whatnot. But I definitely I, I want to move forward with getting that space kind of more functional. So bathroom projects, are you talking about like knocking out a bathtub and putting a big tiled in shower or are you talking about like making small stuff? Just making stuff to improve the space. Uh, thankfully, I already have like a, a tiled in shower. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the tile, but I don't think it's not ugly enough for me to go through the effort of ripping it out. So just projects to improve the space, you know, like I don't have a laundry hamper currently, things like that. Yeah. Well, I am working on a workbench. The, the bench itself is done. I've still got to do some vices to it. I put one of the one of the three vices on it. Um, you don't need three vices, but I'm putting three on it. And after that, uh, got some cool stuff planned for next week and some small projects to uh, a bunch of projects to knock out for that. But I guess I'll get into that in just a little bit. Maybe the next episode. You you were shooting for a nice heavy workbench, right? Yeah, it's it's southern yellow pine. It's six feet long. It's twenty four inches front to back and thirty four inches tall. It's got a four inch thick top, a little bit more than four inches. Uh, it's you know it's not as heavy as like hard maple, you know, but it's mm-hmm. heavy enough to where it doesn't move when you plane a board. So you know that's really all that matters. And even so, like I was talking to some other people, like if it's not heavy enough, the quickest way to add a lot of weight very easily just put some like 80 pound bags of like quick reach cement, just set the bags down there on the base of it somewhere. You're instantly adding mass and making it heavy and harder to move around. So quick and easy, regardless of the material. The main thing is it's a four inch thick top. It's solid. It'll take the abuse and uh, it's budget friendly. 
Yeah, I was I was pretty jealous of that because I haven't had a good solid heavy workbench in probably close to six or seven years. So that's definitely going to be on my list this year. Be interesting to see what uh, what you do with that one. So today's podcast topic is going to be underrated shop tools, uh, regardless of the cost of what we find really useful and just under underappreciated. One of the things that I've put on my list that I think is underrated is a, a variety of shop stools in the shop. And I think Jay and I were talking briefly about this, but he doesn't utilize shop stools at all. But or as I, I have three different ones of different heights and of different orientations. And so I try to take any opportunity to sit down in the shop that I can while I'm working so that I could just rest my feet. Yeah, I guess underrated on yours and overvalued or overrated on mine, <laughs> which <clears throat> maybe if I have some type of... Um, you know, like a moxin vice set up and I'm maybe doing a lot of joinery or something that I could take an opportunity to sit down. But as it stands right now, if I'm sitting in my shop, I'm not working. So hmm. I've never had the desire to make a shop. stool. actually, you know, I take it back. I, I do have a shop stool that I made um, just goofing off with some joinery one day and I made it and put it underneath my miter saw and my miter saw station and it hasn't moved. <laughs> so I, uh, I have all of, well, actually, I have three in my shop. One is stationary and two are rolling. And so on the rolling ones, I have one at the height that is kind of floor level. That is a mechanic shop stool. And then I have another one that is high enough for me to use, sit at while I'm working at one of my workbenches. And so I utilize it really whenever I'm painting or staining or um, sanding, just anything like that. So, I mean, it's it's not the majority of the time, but I tell you what, it really does prolong how long I can stay in the shop without my feet aching because uh, I have bad arch support in my feet. Um, so, yeah, I, I just sit down whenever I can. That's the the exact same shop stool I have is the mechanics ones on wheels uh, mm -hmm. with the, the hydraulic height adjustment. And uh, I always use that when I worked on cars, and it works out really well. Even if, I mean, I'm not super tall. I'm about six foot tall, but it seems like a lot of the, the countertop heights or table saw heights are a little bit low. So if you're tinkering with small parts, you can oftentimes just sit on that stool and kind of kind of mess with it on your lap. And like you said, it extends the amount of time you can be out in your shop because you don't want to be standing for six, seven, eight hours. You know, mm -hmm. take a load off every once in a while. Yeah, I I, I like it because I like rolling around on it too, and yeah. and down the driveway occasionally. But anyway, <laughs> well, and I find <laughs> I find that uh, even looking down, if I can get myself into a position to where I'm not looking down, it'll uh, help out my, the the top of my back. And so if I can, if I'm, whenever I'm sitting, then I can keep my head more forward looking and that really helps out as well. That makes sense. That makes a lot of mm -hmm. sense. All right. So next up, I've got on this list a 12 inch speed square. You guys have probably seen it. Um, if you watch any of my videos, I use a 12 inch orange speed square. I don't even know what brand, what is it like Swanson brand? I think that's the common one. Um, yeah. But speed squares are, in my opinion, so underrated the bigger ones you know everyone's got like a little six inch speed square but but the larger ones um you know you, you're just making straight lines perpendicular lines on um wider stock that's easy with any of them but using it to guide like circular saws or jigsaws i do it all the time and then just general lining stuff up um it's hard to like think of all the, all the little uses because it's so circumstantial to what you're doing but you could use it all the time, or at least I do anyway. I I don't I don't use that's one of my um, overvalued. I guess you would. Um, I don't like that it's in, inaccurate for me in my preference. Uh, speed square, uh, combination square is definitely more 
um, my preference on that, but or or like a small machinist square. Hmm. I have the uh, the Swanson metal one, but it's only the six inch one, and it's used in every single project, really, just for lining it out and then using it as a quick guide for a circular saw or jigsaw. But I agree, I use it in every project, and if I travel and pack a tool bag, it's always thrown in. You know, uh, you bring up a topic that I hear a lot: the the inaccuracy in it, Nick. I've yeah. Maybe I've gotten a couple of good ones because I have never like so many people actually do say, you know, they're they're inaccurate and you don't like them, blah, blah, blah. But I have never found one that is or the, the three or four that I've bought and used in my lifetime. I've never found them to be inaccurate. You can do the, you know, you strike a line, flip the thing over 180 degrees or or yeah, mirror, yeah mirror it to one side and then strike another line if they're on the exact same plane or, or, or collinear, I guess, then it's then it's good. But I've never found one that's inaccurate. And I was thinking about that. And this wouldn't work for a 45 degree on the 45 degree side. I guess maybe you could make another cut. But <clears throat> what I was thinking is if your perpendicular edge is not perpendicular, why couldn't you just set the – they're all plastic for the most part that I use. Why couldn't you just set that on a, on a table saw sled and just take a little sliver off to get it nice and back to 90? You you could for sure. I mean, because they're like what a fiberglass reinforced nylon or something like that. But um, I guess it all depends. Yeah, accurate if carpenter pencil or even like a sharpened pencil or a sharpie marker. But like I wouldn't I wouldn't use it like with a marking knife just because it's kind of rounded. It's not true squared off. You know, like a stare at um, combination square or something like that. Well, if you bring in marking knife into the consideration, you know. Well, even think. a sharpened pencil, there's a little bit of weight for <laughs> there. Yeah, but. I, I, I do have a one of those six-inch engineered uh, or engineers squares or whatever that is really nice and 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 pretty accurate. So, I've got the accuracy with others, but for just general use in the shop, I, I use mine. I got mine in my theater, you know, tools when I when I'm cutting down a bunch of two by fours at the theater and, you know, I'm not near a chop saw or something and I can just, you know, whip out a circular saw that. Yeah, that I have it there. I just I don't I don't use it as much in the in the wood shop as much as you guys. But uh, the next one I had for a tool on the list and uh, I have to preface with a good jigsaw and I'm kind of uh, particular. I've when my first jigsaw I ever got was way back in the day, probably close to 15 years ago, when the blades were kind of a stamped metal. They weren't very sharp and no guide bearing behind the blade. I use my jigsaw all the time, but you have to have a good one to where it's going to track halfway decent with some good ground blades. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. I just get tons of use out of mine. Yeah, the I, I've had a few really crappy jigsaws. I guess we all have those, and they're just... They're so frustrating because blade drift, and then for me, every time I've used a crappy jigsaw, it seems like <clears throat> it's not that I drift away from the line. It's like the blade doesn't stay perpendicular and make straight cuts up and down. Like the bottom side is off to one side when you try and curve or, or turn or something like that. But mm -hmm. I have got a Bosch jigsaw. It's it's like the hundred and ten dollar one at Lowe's or something like that. It's it's one of their quality jigsaws, and at the time I was like. I was like, okay, I'll splurge and get a good jigsaw and um, and whatever. But after using it, it's just like, holy cow. There is a <laughs> huge, huge difference. Now, a lot of the cut quality has to do with the, the blades too. So, I mean, if you use a really, really fancy jigsaw and then use a really, really crappy blade, then it's not going to be fun. And putting a really good blade on a crappy jigsaw oftentimes doesn't you know, make awesome cuts. 
Um, but <clears throat> now I, I haven't used any of the like super high end stuff like the festival jigsaw. I can't justify that. That's a little much for me. Um, this, the, the Bosch one I'm talking about is probably like the high end for what I would consider a jigsaw use. And it does a fantastic job with, with Bosch blades. Bosch has got some really nice jigsaw blades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I have the Makita one right now and it was the same thing whenever I switched from, um, I forget. I actually purchased my first one at a garage sale, I think for two and a half dollars. <laughs> and then, uh, I used it to, I don't know, probably about six to eight months. And then I moved up to the Makita one and it was the same revelation. I was like, Oh, this is so lovely. Although I don't use it much anymore since I've gotten the bandsaw on the shop, but, um, it's great to still, if I'm going to like my folks, I do throw it in my tool bag just because it's a great tool to have around. One other thing, like jigsaws aren't necessarily just for curves, you know, like you use a jigsaw with a straight edge, like a speed square, and you have a nice, mm-hmm. good tracking jigsaw with a good blade. You can get some really straight, really, really uh, clean cuts. I agree. And in fact, whenever people ask me what they should start off with, as far as like a beginner tool set, um, I always say, say, you know, different tools for different what what you're aiming to do. But I say, in my opinion, the jigsaw, a drill and a brad nailer are great starting essentials because you can do so much. You don't really need a circular saw because like what you said, you could just line up a, a speed square and make straight cuts with the jigsaw or you could do curves. Whereas if you buy a circular saw right off the bat and you can only afford one, then you're just stuck to the straight straight lines, straight cuts. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. The next one here I inserted kind of last minute and I, I, I can't believe I almost forgot about this one. And I'm sure I'll have some disagreements on this, but this is probably my number one underrated tool that I overuse. And I shouldn't say over, that sounds excessive, but an oscillating spindle sander. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people shy away from it because they're like, it's it's a unitasking tool. It, they're, oh, that's all it does is sand in circles. I mean, whether you're doing cabriole legs, whether you're doing shelf brackets or, you know, convex curves, concave curves, everything. I just, I love sculpting with this thing. It saves so much time. Like we were talking about jigsaws and cutting curves, this is just a good, quick way to clean them up and do a darn nice job at doing it. I think, like, uh, so I have no experience using an uh, oscillating spindle sander, um, but I think of all the times where that could have been useful, and I think that's one of those projects where, like I said, I haven't used it, but I think if I was to use it, I'd be like, man, I should have done this forever ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. I just unboxed mine. And I haven't, I haven't really utilized it yet, so I don't, I don't really know if it's going to be under or overvalued for me. You go back to my videos; it's, it's almost in every video, which is weird. Huh? Yeah, I'll have to look. Well, I got the Triton one. They sent it to me back, you know, whenever they sent me all my the rest of my tools. But I, I left it in the box. Like I, I have a bad habit of doing, <laughs> but I left it in the box forever because I didn't have a, a spot to put it. But I recently built a stand for it. I think you're going to love it. I bet I will. All right. So next up, I've got on my list a cabinet scraper. And that's one of those things like I've only associated for the longest time. I associated that with like, you know, just the I'm using the air quotes here, the the real woodworkers, you know, like a cabinet <laughs> scraper. But since getting mine, I have barely sanded anything. It's so really? much. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's insane. Like it's and it's it's like what a ten dollar tool, five dollar tool, however much they are. They're, they're pretty inexpensive depending on which one you get. But if once you have it tuned up or, or get a nice edge on it, which is really easy to do with just a file, that's all you really need. I mean, you can get it really nice with some stones and all that good stuff, but I just use a file and it works great. And uh, like I said, just barely have used any sandpaper anymore. It is so much faster and cleaner 
than sandpaper and leaves a better edge. Hmm. Nick, do you use one? Yeah, I got uh, that's I kind of hoard those actually. Um, but yeah, cabinet scrapers all the way. Um, people people are scared off by it because they, they don't know how to burnish them or they don't know how to sharpen them. And um, I believe I have a burnisher somewhere for mine, but oddly enough, I, I find myself using a Phillips screwdriver to put an edge on it more often than not because I, I already know where a Phillips screwdriver is in my shop. So, <laughs> but yeah, just you know, basically just putting a small burr on a cabinet scraper and it, you know, it's not necessarily direction bias. Like you have to sand with the grain uh, cabinet scraper. And oddly enough, what I utilize my cabinet scraper, but then also my six inch uh, machinist rule a lot for is cleaning out glue squeeze out in 90 degree corners. Hmm. A lot of times you can shove a rag in there and it mushes it around. I get the bulk of it off with normally a cabinet scraper. You have have to look into it. Yeah. And I mean, you can almost use just about any type of metal, but yeah, they sell them. They're cheap. They're super quick to sharpen and yeah, they're super beneficial. All right. So next up we have high quality drills and impact. And let me preface this by saying high quality. I'm not talking about like the, the elite tools, the up and up like heavy duty master craftsman stuff, whatever, AKA Festool. Um, <laughs> I'm basically saying not the, um, not the ones that don't have removable batteries and you have to plug them in down at the handle and charge them up and you can't use them while they're charging and like the little like $10, $20 Harbor Freight and like Mastercraft series and stuff like that. I'm talking about the, or we're all talking about the, the like DeWalt and, and Makita and Milwaukee and, you know, pretty much all of those Ryobi, they're pretty much all going to do the job just fine for a hobby woodworking shop. Yeah, I agree. Um, impact to me, if I could pick between having a drill or an impact, I would pick a impact all day, every day. And that's just kind of, I, I don't know, my, my theater set building, we're handed a huge stack, a pallet of two by fours and a box of drywall screws and told to go to town. So those zip them in real good. But even in the shop with some actual wood screws, um, and you can also buy the, the, the adapters where it, I think it's a quarter inch hexagonal shank, you know, in the, in an impact typically, but you can buy that to convert to a keyed chuck or a keyless chuck. And you can use all your standard, twist bits and spade bits and all your traditional cylindrical uh, bits. I'll have to look into that. That's really interesting. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen one, but I can see how it would be useful. Yeah, but have you ever tried to drill a hole with an impact, though? It's if aggravating. It's, well, I mean, if you're using a spade bit where it's really, or, you know, something big and it's hogging away material, yeah, then it's going to rotationary impact. But if you're drilling just like a quarter-inch twist bit hole and some pine... It, it rarely even impacts. It can normally bog right through it. Hmm. But then that, that brings up bits and all that stuff. I am kind of a stickler on changing out like my number two Phillips uh, driver bits because the once impact. they get rounded over, for the impact, yeah. Yeah. Just because and people don't change their bits that often. And I mean, I break them fairly often, but as soon as they start wearing out, I change them out right away. I know, you know, you can go torques and square head and all that too but yeah i'm with you i've stuck with the phillips but uh i need to get better about changing my bit it's just something that slips my mind until i really start realizing that it's not going in as smooth yeah so then then i'm like oh let me look at my bit and sure enough i need to change it so i just need to get on a better schedule at changing them out i've got a lot of um i still have a you know a, a few buckets of drywall screws and i use them quite regularly but just from the aggravation of using Phillips bits and the bits themselves stripping out and blah, 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 blah. I've gotten to where I 
whenever possible, I try to use like a square drive or the T25, whatever that's called, star drive, whatever. Um, I try to use those more if, if at all possible, because there's just so much less frustration with it. There's less frustration, less stripping out on them. I understand that. I guess I'm more of like trying to unify things in my shop and Phillips there's a wide array of fasteners to go with Phillips and, you know, different shank sizes, different threads, you know, I don't know, you know, whether it's machine bolts, stove bolts, carriage bolts, all sorts of, you know, you're, you're, a lot of times you're using a Phillips. But no, I, I hear you. All right. So the- getting a little bit off the path here, but do you guys reuse your screws? If you ever like dismantle something, do you just, you know, just throw this, the whole thing away? Or do you like literally take every screw out of the thing before it gets thrown away or something like that? Most of the time I do, I, I go through and I just take them out and then reuse them if they're not, I mean, if they're still good. Yeah. I reuse all my screws whenever possible. My wood screws, like my SPAC screws and my, like my powerhead screws. Yeah. Those I'll try to, but when, when I'm building a set or something or a prop and it's just drywall screws, they're so darn cheap anyways. And a lot of times, you know, with the structures, they'll bend a little bit and I'm not I'm not going to try and put in bent screws, you know. I hate that. You pick up a screw, you go to put it in, and it wobbles off right away. Oh, well, yeah. If it's damaged, mm-hmm. you throw it away. I'm talking. As a matter of fact, here's a good example. This is this was like, I don't know, three or four years ago. But I'm building a project with uh, pocket hole screws, and I ran out. And I'm not going to drive to go get, get more pocket hole screws. So the computer desk that I'm working on right now is actually missing about half of the, the pocket hole screws. <laughs> Just backed them out and, you know, reused them for whatever project I was working on. <laughs> Luckily, there's glue in the joint and all that good stuff, but uh, I, it's, it's it's missing half of the pocket holes, pocket hole screws anyway. Well, now that we're talking about screws, and, and I know you've done a lot with pocket holes and stuff, do you ever you use you know the pocket hole screws or do you use drywall screws? Because I I can't I I hate using drywall screws in pockets. You know I've never had good results with it. Who is it? Uh, was it Wooden Tool Man? The guy who makes a lot of uh, cabinets in Canada, uh, uh, pocket hole machines and stuff on YouTube. Uh, anyway. I think so. He uses, uh, he says that he always uses drywall screws in his pocket holes. And, uh, you know, he builds cabinets professionally for a living and has great results with it. And hey, if you have great results with it, then I'm not knocking you at all. And that works great. Hey, that's fine. I personally have never had good results using it. Now, I haven't tried it several times, but, you know, I just. What are the bad results? Uh, they're not like self tapping. And they yeah. can, they're not self-tapping, so they can split whatever wood you're going into. That's a possibility. And then also because of the head is not like a washer head, it's the, the you know, like the normal uh, screw head, it'll want to go further into the pocket hole than what the, the hole was designed, than the depth of the hole was originally intended for. Yeah. See, I, I use Phillips heads so much uh, instead of the pocket hole screws whenever, whenever I run out. Um, and I've, I've never had a problem with them. Like I, I, of course I don't use an impact. I use a drill so that I can really just feel it and just make sure to not over tighten it. And I've never, I've never had an issue with it cracking or going past its depth. But like drywall screws or wood screws or pan head? Uh, no, they're, I mean, they're, I guess, drywall screws, but I buy the exterior grade where they have that gray coating on them. Okay. But I mean, they work fine for me and they're a lot cheaper. And the only, the only nuisance is then you have to get the extended long bit. So uh, so that it will actually go down into the pocket. Mm-hmm. But I, I found that it works just fine. And it's like I said, it's a lot cheaper because those, those pocket hole screws are very expensive. Talking. I don't, I don't, oh, I was going to say, I don't use a ton of pocket holes in general. Uh-huh. I've, I found the splitting, obviously, you know, if you're on, got pocket holes on end grain, 
I'm like, no, I just and pocket hole screws, as Jay said before to me, you know, you buy them in bulk and they're they're not that much more. But I suppose in a pinch, maybe. All right. Next up, we have <clears throat> tape measures. Now, we all use tape measures, but the one I'm talking about or the size I'm talking about is like a 12 inch tape measure. I don't want to go any bigger than that in the shop. You never measure 12. it. 12 foot. What I say? 12 inch. Yeah. Yeah. Also known as a ruler. Um, <clears throat> so don't go. In. I, I've, I've got a bunch of tape measures. I've got a drawer for measuring and marking stuff. And it's got like six or seven of the tape measures that I've bought over the, the course of you know time because you lose one and then you go buy another one. And then you lose that one. And then you buy another one. And then one day you find all of them right where you didn't think they were. Um, <laughs> but all the ones that I don't use are all like 16 and 25 and 30 foot tape measures. Well, you don't need that in the shop and it's just big and bulky. Just the underrated ones are the 12 inch, in my opinion, the smaller or 12 feet. 12 Why do I keep plus. saying that? <laughs> So the, the, the shorter ones, they're lighter weight, they're easier to just clip on your side or put it in your pocket. It's not going to weigh you down. And Well, and on that same note, I actually prefer the longer one only because the one, not because I utilize the longer length, but because I need the markers, the 3 eighths and the 5 eighths and the 7 eighths all on there. Because just even though I've been, you know, working with stuff for three years now, I just can't quickly... I would have to sit there and stare at the measure, the tape measure to figure out, okay, what dimension is that? So I like the one that has all the little cheater markers on there for me, and they only make those in the longer lengths. But I think that in a tape measure, what I really think is underrated is that lever lock, the one that oh. automatically stays where as far as you pull it out, and you don't have to manually lock it. Those manual, anytime I get one, I immediately throw it across the yard because I won't, I won't use them anymore. That's funny because I, um, I, that's the, the ones that I swear by. It's the lever lock on the bottom to where when you pull it out, it stays. And I'm kind of with April, too. I got 25-footers, um, although I have a really nice six-footer in the shop that I like, too. But, um, but yeah, that bottom lever lock, Craftsman was selling that the very model that I wanted. They apparently weren't selling. They sold the patent off to a local. Um, it's kind of like a Lowe's or a Home Depot, but it's local to me. And they, they sold them for about six months. And I'm like, oh, wow, they're only like $5.99 lifetime warranty. Same exact parts and pieces. I only bought two of them, and then they stopped selling them a week later. Ah, oh, well, Stanley makes them. The Stanley Lever Locks is the one that I have. That's yeah, that's my replacement. But oddly enough, I'm weirdly particular about them, and I'll have to show you guys sometime. It's you know, it's just one of these. Oh man, I wish I had a hundred of those things. Maybe you can find them online. Oh, I've tried. I've tried. I've checked. I've like oh. sat online for like four hours looking. For- <laughs> I'm the yeah. exact opposite of you guys. I like the shorter ones with no lever lock. I think those are so annoying. Huh. When I let go of the eat? tape, when I let go of the tape, I want it to come back automatically. I don't want to have to push a button for it to come back. When I pull it out, I don't want to have to push a button to keep exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> well, there you go. So another one on my list was a brad nailer. Um, I find it pretty much uh, one of the tools that I use in every single project. Do you guys use brad nailers at all? I do. I I love it. When I when I years and years ago when I got a Brad nailer, it just made made everything so much easier. Rather, because I used finished nails before that, and you're hammering away at like a ninety degree butt joint or something, just trying to knock together some quick jig or whatever it may be. And uh, yeah, I just love it. Uh, what do you got? The eighteen gauge? Yeah, I use the eighteen on everything. I've been meaning to buy the sixteen and the twenty three just to round it out. But I mean, everything that I've needed it for, I just find the eighteen just does a fine job. So. And just keep putting it off. Buying, buying more. 
Jay, what about you on Brad Nailers? I've only used an 18 gauge. I used to have a, well, I still do, but I used to use quite frequently a really nice lightweight aluminum Hitachi Brad Nailer. Uh, that was air powered. Um, very good gun. Then I got the uh, 18 gauge battery powered one from Ryobi, and it works really well. I've ha- I haven't really had any problems with it at, at all. Um, I used to use them quite frequently, but here lately, I just I just don't like plugging the holes after I'm done. So I've I've kind of used them more or less for shop stuff only, just to tack something down quick or or use them where they're not seen. Mm-hmm. What brand do you have, April? I actually have the rigid one. I went through two different ones before coming to the rigid and because they just, I can't seem to make, keep one working after about the year mark. And so I went with the rigid because they have lifetime warranties on other, on all their tools. And sure enough, it's, it's breaking down on me. I actually have to pull the trigger twice in order to get it shoot. So it misfires every other time. And I, I oil it and I have my pressures up. Like I've, it doesn't jam. It just doesn't shoot the darn nail. I was I was lucky enough. Um, I have a couple of them. Uh, they're all 18 gauge. I don't have a pinner or anything yet, but um, I have a, a Bostitch one that has been a workhorse for me. But they they had one on sale at Woodcraft probably about seven years ago, and it's kind of a generic brand, I'm guessing. But it, it's orange and it's called Freeman, and mm. on sale I think it was like 30 bucks. That's good. And it, yeah, and it's never misfired, never had any problems with it, and I and I just love it. But uh, are you pretty good about oiling it and keeping the maintenance up? Very much so, yeah. Because I come from a mechanic background to where, you know, a couple drops of oil in an impact or an air yeah. ratchet. So, yeah, I always, you know, a couple drops. and. Mm-hmm. But especially in a wood wood shop because, you I mean, a mechanic shop, you're talking a lot of grease anyways. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you tend to have a drier, dustier, you know, dry dust environment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. Um, and one thing worth noting, too, is if somebody doesn't have a Brad Nailer and they're looking at directional or a movable exhaust that way you know if you're doing it you don't have to have the exhaust blast you in the face you know make sure you can move what direction it comes out definitely great feature and also this last one that i bought has a belt clip on it so i can just slip it onto my pocket whenever um, i'm lining something up for the next shot so i really like that feature it's something small but definitely functional very cool Mm i want to move right right along to uh push sticks good push sticks Mm-hmm. Um, as of right now, I'm using like the plastic, the cheap plastic ones that comes, you know, came with most of my equipment. Um, but years ago I always had kind of the, uh, right triangle, uh, looking ones to where you're, you're pushing at kind of a, maybe a 30 degree angle behind the work. And then it, then it extends over the top of the, of the work. But, um, what are you using Jay? I've used the, like the, just block of a two by four or two by six any two by dimensional lumber so you have the full one and a half inch thick uh sole or the base of it i guess and then just screw some type of hardwood onto the back of it as a cleat to push it forward now you can make the push stick any shape that you want that really doesn't matter um but i like the whole one and a half inch wide part of the push stick that way it gives you a little bit more stability you're not rocking back and forth now you can take the exact same shape and cut it out of a piece of like half inch plywood uh, like so many other people do, like the John John Heiss's push stick, you know, uh, just a piece of like half inch plywood or something. But I like the full width. That way, if if you're you know only cutting like a half inch strip off of something, you can put the push stick on top of the material and just run it right through the blade. You know, as long as your blade is like a half a tooth above the material or something like that or a little less, just run it right through and 
cut the push stick big deal you have full control over it and it's it's supported on both sides of the cut and you're pushing it through the, the blade on both sides of the cut i just just a uh and it's and it's cheap and pretty much free from scraps that just about everybody has as access to and you're not spending like you know eighty dollars on something that's yellow you know no names mentioned <laughs> april what are you used for push sticks and stuff uh, the same. I have a variety, and I really I I think that they're underrated tools because uh, I use the J Bates push stick for resawing, and uh, I like it also Jay not only for the inch and a half thickness but also the length of it. Um, I, I I got a longer piece of scrap whenever I was making it, so I just feel really stable and supported, especially resawing material with that push stick. Yeah. And then recently, a viewer sent me two of them. You know, kind of like your little cheap plastic ones that you're using Nick, but, uh, they were handmade just from simple scraps. One's a little bit thicker than the other one. So that depending if I'm pushing something, um, uh, slimmer or narrower through. And then I also use the, uh, the bench dog push sticks that have the gripping material so that whenever I'm doing like dados or rabbits, I could just have a really sure foot whenever I'm pushing my material through. And I just, I keep all three push sticks at arm's reach around my table saw so that no matter what I'm using, I can just easily reach for it. And I just think they're they're highly functional, yeah. and they're all cheap, either from scraps or from you know ten bucks from Rockler. Yeah, I didn't mention push blocks. Um, the I think their Shop Fox brand is the ones that I because I have probably five or six, but they're orange and they have a white pad on the bottom, and it's not just rubber. It's not mouse pad type, much, and that just seems to grip the wood the best out of all my push blocks. But no, that, that's a good point too. Yeah. Agreed. These bench dog ones there, I guess that, that mouse pad material, you know, that's what, that's what it is on the bottom, but mine's black, but mine are also orange. So I wonder if they're something orange conspiracy with push sticks. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's worth noting that, you know, not every, there's no one push stick that's good for every situation, obviously. Um, you Agreed. Know, Matthias Wandel, or however you say his name, from woodgears.ca, has got a video on making push sticks. He's got a little template you can download and print off and make your own, uh, like the 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 single handle, you know, the longer ones where you're pushing with a, the, the the tip of the push stick rather. Yeah. Um, and the two-handed method, like that, he uses all the time, is very convenient for certain tasks. But I I cut a couple of his push sticks out, and I use them quite a bit, and I found that as I was pushing it past the blade i had a bad habit of dropping my hand slightly like i wasn't getting like scary close to the blade but i was noticing that that's what i was doing so i stopped using those and just made another set of push sticks that's the same style but like a you know six inches longer or something like that that way i can push it through the blade and if my hand happens to drop down just slightly like I'm, i have a bad habit of doing i'm still way before the blade with my hand mm-hmm Moving to stud finders. In fact, I'll let uh, let April uh, talk about this one because I think we're going to have similar tastes here and, and talk about it with stud finders. But yeah. yeah, I put it on because I just I love my stud finder. It's one of those things. I use the Franklin Professional. I paid fifty dollars for it through Amazon at the time. They were only selling through Amazon, and I know that that's a lot for a stud finder. But I had been through about three other ones that were just it's so frustrating not having a reliable stud finder. And so I, I spent the money, and now three years later, it's still just such a workhorse for me. It's so reliable, and it just, I just I recommend it to everybody. And the Franklin one, what color is it? It's yellow? Uh-huh. It's yellow, and it uses the lights instead of a noise, and it actually will light up the thickness of whatever is behind the wall. Now, of course, you don't know if it's 
a pipe or a, a stud, but of course you could uh, narrow it down by measuring the wall and whatnot. For those familiar with the traditional stud finder where it's more of a vertical orientation, these are more of a horizontal orientation uh, and, and right around the size of like maybe a seven or eight inch chunk of two by four. And like I said, I knew April had the Franklin one. They must sell under the Costco umbrella as well because I got mine at Costco and I think they were 35, 40 bucks, but instead it's blue, but it is identical parts, pieces, probably same patent numbers as Franklin. And mm -hmm. I absolutely love it. Like April said, you can. It doesn't just ding or beep or light up. It shows you pretty much right where the obstruction or the you know whatever is behind there. And and I just need you know in one of my videos I couldn't find my stud finder, so I guess I just need to buy me a stud finder finder. <laughs> finder for the stud finder. I don't. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I've got one of those cheapo like you know the the beepy ones that are not really reliable. And I never use it because it's not really reliable. So I always knock on the wall and find the find the hard spot. And then you just kind of like look for if there's any anything else on the wall that is a telltale sign of where something was and end up hitting like the, the wrong side of it twice. And then you got to go back to the other side and you have six holes in the wall. And then you're thinking, <laughs> well, I'm just hanging a picture anyway. It's going to cover it all. But I, I, have, I have a feeling that that's one of those tools because I've seen it in April's videos. And I'm like, well, that's that's handy if it shows you like the entire thickness of the of the exactly. The, the stud so i think that's one of those tools where if i had it i would be like oh man this is amazing but uh -huh. i don't so much like barbarian and just make holes <laughs> and it seems to sense a whole lot deeper than the cheap ones like it does yeah because i mean my garage has a pretty heavy texture on the mm -hmm. drywall and my cheap one won't even it just beeps at me you know so i mean it's good at making noise but it doesn't check it but yeah the the frank well, also, it goes through OSB really well because I have OSB walls in my shop. And uh, that was probably the biggest question I got asked is, does it go through that OSB just fine? I said, yeah, it works like a champ. That's awesome. So if anyone has a Costco near them, they can get it either that or uh, Amazon. April said they can get it on there. But All right. Uh, cardboard dot, 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 seriously. I wrote that on there because um, I used to just – not put anything below finishes or not put anything below big glue ups and say, oh, I'll just clean that crap up later once it's all done. And the first part of my workbench build, when I was gluing the, gluing the tops together, I had half the bottle of Type-On 3 on my work surface and not inside the, the material anymore. So I had to clean up all that. And then that was such of a pain in the butt to where I started putting cardboard underneath the glue ups for the rest of the build. And it's just one of those like, this is so simple and you overlook mm -hmm. it, and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and it's readily available. I constantly, like, if anytime I need a shim, I'll tear off the flaps from, like, screw boxes, the cardboard, and use them as shims, or uh, using using them to trace out templates of something, or, like, profiles of something. I recently used it. You'll see it in, in my video coming out this Sunday, to trace out a profile of the uh, backsplash to countertop radius. Anyways, and so, yeah, I, I completely agree. Cardboard in the shop is, is a handy, handy little thing. Yeah, I um, well, when I had cardboard, when I saw that sitting there, um, the cardboard seriously, I I took it slightly different, but yeah, no, I do have a cardboard for covering work surfaces, whether it's paint, epoxy, gluing, whatever, and oddly enough, they are all old um, like table saw boxes that were you know the table saw was delivered in, and uh, they're like triple thick, uber corrugated, you know, like anyways, I'm just a big fan, I won't get rid of them. But I, I had uh, um, mentioned on there Ram board, and that's a brand. You can get it at Home Depot. But it's, it's similar in thickness to maybe like a cereal box. 
And you can get RAM board, I think it's like 36 inches wide by 50 feet, which will pretty much last you a lifetime. And uh, I use that a lot of times for um, patterns and templates uh, to, to mark out curves or they work great for like cabriole legs or, you know, and they actually use it in industry as uh, like an underlayment and like a protector while you're, you know, renovating a house. So, so it comes in a roll. Yeah, it comes in a roll. It's either 30 or 36 inches wide, 50 feet long. Home Depot sells the, the Ram board brand. I'm sure you can buy it in other brands, but versus like the uh, the paper, you know, the red paper, rosin paper, whatever. Um, yeah, this is, it's about, like I said, it's about as thick as a cereal box. And yeah, you can use cereal boxes, but if you're laying out something six feet long and you got this cheap cardboard readily available, it really does help. So does it, all right, so if it's thicker than paper, but about the same thickness as a, like a cereal box, does it maintain the shape of the roll as you're trying to work with it? Uh, not much, a little bit, but I mean, it, really not much. Um, I mean, if you're dealing with like a three foot long piece, it doesn't want to coil up, um, you know, into a cylinder. There's a slight bow to it, if anything. But All right, so we're getting close to uh, running out of time here, but we, we do want to do a segment called Questions from YouTube, just pulling some questions from YouTube every single one of these little podcasts. So we're just going to hit one of these. And um, what about you, April? You want to pick one of these questions to answer? Um, sure. How about do uh, are any of our friends and family interested in seeing our shops, and do we allow them? I, I can start taking that one because I'm probably going to be the meanest one out of this. But I actually had a, a relative about two weeks ago want want me to cut some stuff for him, and I ended up wrecking a blade on a hidden screw on some old crappy wood, and that really made me mad. And I, it's not that I don't <laughs> encourage. I encourage my kids with supervision. I you know, I'll help friends, but it, a lot of times a friend says, hey, can you cut this for me quick? It turns into you're building the whole thing for them. So I'm not as open-doored policy as most um, or as some could be. Um, yeah, it's about all. I understand that. I don't know if it's it's a good thing or a bad thing, but most of my family doesn't live around me. So as far as family coming and nobody really cares about my shop. They don't really care about wanting to do anything. And everybody, you know, because I make woodworking videos, they all know that I'm interested in woodworking. So everybody's like, hey, can you build this? And uh, it's, that's a slippery slope. Um, but pretty much the only people who, who come and are interested in looking at the shop or whatever are people who you know, know about it and follow me on all this stuff and all that good stuff. So I don't have a problem with someone coming in the shop. Um, well, as a matter of fact, I had one person locally, a friend of mine, he wanted to build something and he was wanting to build it a certain way. And I was like, no, let, let, let's, let's do it this way. It'll last a little longer. So <laughs> we did that and I, I helped him out and I let him use some tools in here, but I don't really have too much of a problem. April, what about you? I know there was a video or two of you out with like your niece helping you out. Yeah, um, that was that was fine. You know, she pretty much used the jigsaw. She was really uh, intrigued by the miter saw, so she eventually moved over there and used it. But I don't, I don't like anybody in my shop. Um, even I try, I try to be like better about it, but I have a hard time even sharing my space or tools with my husband. <laughs> and so I'm just like really, I don't mind showing it off and giving people the tour of it, but. I don't want anybody using my tools or my space to do their own projects. And in <laughs> fact, I don't let anybody in there really without my soup, like with me accompanying them. Because one time we had a uh, house party and uh, we have a stereo system in my shop that also has outdoor speakers. 
And uh, somebody had gone in there, I guess, exploring around and set a beer on my brand new saw stop. And at that time, I'd only had it for two weeks. And they spilt the beer and did not clean it up. And so it rusted. Yeah. Just like, and you know, the liquid just spread out. And my brand new cast iron top, I was livid, if you can imagine. (laughs) So ever since then, I don't let anybody in the shop unless I accompany them and like, People, even like my husband or his buddy, who's pretty much like a brother, they come in and they want to bring beer cans and like set them down on my unfinished like workbench surfaces. And they, it's like a, a running joke with them because they know I'm just like really particular. <laughs> like, don't set it down. I, I so wish that uh, you guys could see my face because when she said that, I was like, <laughs> my jaw hit the floor. Like, I had a uh, a buddy of mine set down a beer on my saw stop for I think it was about ten seconds the other day, and I I just I, I looked at him like a deer in headlights like he knew immediately I didn't have to say anything he's he, done wrong he picked it up and he was checking <laughs> to make sure it didn't leave a mark or anything because he just knew that I was just about to go completely berserk but yeah I mean it's a, a simple mistake if you don't deal with yeah cast iron you know you're not a woodworker or a machinist but um well the shop is just such a personal personal space in my opinion like i don't want don't pick up my stuff don't don't maybe borrow it and then put it back in the wrong spot like i just i don't know it's just like my personal space and i just i don't mind showing it off but i just don't want anybody in there without me also being there <laughs> and it can be a, a lot of times it can be as simple as oh, i just had to make a quick cut no biggie it's like, well, that was that blade was set to make a rabbit at a certain height, and I and I've been batching out parts all day. Oh, I just mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put the blade back, and I'm like, it was within a sixty fourth of an inch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But I I do get a kick out of showing it off, showing off the shop, and like uh, maybe giving people ideas or whatnot. But very cool. All right, folks. Well, that wraps up our time for this week. As Nick said, we're going to continue doing this. This is episode one. Um, but if you'd like to stay up to date on everything with this uh, podcast, the Woodworking Podcast, you can check out our email newsletter at thewoodworkingpodcast.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. And also, if you are an iTunes user, be sure to rate the podcast. That helps us out. And finally, if you'd like to stay up to date with everything we are doing individually, be sure to follow April at wilkerdues.com, Nick at nickferry.com, and myself at jacecustomcreations.com. So it was a lot of fun hanging out with everyone here. Yeah, really good time, guys. I'm looking forward to doing some more. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, I can talk. I'm, I'm good at talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it, folks. You guys take care and have a good one. Bye, Bye everyone. See ya.